0: What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. everyone. My name is Bryce. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege just to uh, guide us as we come around God's Word again as we continue in the series on uh, First Corinthians. And I really enjoyed that last segment that we had uh, where those three uh, chaplains were being uh, commissioned. It took me back to when I was um, a high school student at Southport State High School, just up the road. And I have to say that uh, although I was a good church boy when I came to Southport Church of Christ uh, on youth group on Friday nights and uh, church Sunday morning and usually Sunday night as well, that didn't translate so much to my uh, school life or how I treated my brother and sister, unfortunately. And so I had a bit of a double life going on and I remember Dave, who was the youth pastor for Southport Church of Christ at the time. And week by week, he would come into the school at Southport State High School and he would chat with the students. Particularly, he'd be singling out kids which were in the youth group as well and getting to know their friend groups. And I hated it when he came into school because I was living a pretty rowdy life that at that time when I was in school, it didn't reflect anything of my Christian side of things that I that I believed said that I believed. And so whenever I saw him there, it always made me feel like, oh, bringing God into the school environment there where I was living this kind of double life. And I felt so uncomfortable because it reminded me that I wasn't living the way that I should. It was always, a, a, it made me feel uncomfortable around that. So Dave would come in and he would be very gracious and pastoral and encouraging and all of that. He came and visited me when I was 14 and almost died at the Southport Hospital, uh, and Eventually, his love and encouragement and pastoral concern won me over. And he baptised me when I was 15 years of age. And so I would just like to say to Nadine, wherever you are, to Andrew, to Renee, never underestimate the impact that you are having in the life of young people. Uh, And I uh, think about Dave as we're thinking about spiritual gifts today, how Dave was active in using his gifts his pastoral gifts of encouragement, and um, just uh, pastoral concern and love, and he was faithful in his time, and he would have had no idea of the long-term impact that him just using his gifts faithfully week by week. I'm sure there was days he didn't feel like going into the school, and certainly um, he would have had no idea that you know, I, you know, part of me being up here is actually because of what his building into my life. And those, think of all the ripple effects from him just being faithful using his spiritual gifts. So today, we're in chapter 12 of First Corinthians. We're looking at spiritual gifts and how God has given certain abilities and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, as it's described, for the good of the church. That's what we're looking at today. Now, just by way of introduction, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we see the Holy Spirit as some kind of a, a, kind of a fleeting presence. So the Holy Spirit would appear from time to time to certain people, was often very active in the lives of kings and prophets and priests. And his presence with them, though, was usually temporary. But the prophet Joel, uh, in chapter 2 of Joel, wrote this long before Jesus came on the scene. He said, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy... Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And so, in a future time far off, God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. So, what that means is all, on all of the people of God. And this empowering wouldn't be to some isolated individuals just for some point in time, but to every person who would follow Jesus as Lord. And so what was a prophecy for Joel, looking forward to some time, actually became a historical reality as Peter understood it in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when God sent the Holy Spirit to all believers to be with them forever. And so here we are looking at Corinth, this church all the way over in Greece now, a couple of decades after Jesus was here and resurrected uh, and went back to heaven. And this is a relatively young church, And it needs some guidance on how it is to use spiritual gifts. The Spirit is living in the lives of all believers. And yet, we we can see very clearly that the spiritual gifts are being misused, are being abused. And so, Paul gives um, some guidance here to this church. And so, if you've got your Bible, you're welcome to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, or you can read it on the screen. And Paul starts like this. He says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. I think that would have made the readers of this letter really sit up and take notice. Because Paul says, literally, now about spirituals. So you could take that to being now about spiritual things, now about spiritual people, perhaps, but he doesn't get to gifts until a little bit later on. Now about spiritual things, he says. I don't want you to be ignorant, I don't want you to be uninformed, I don't want you to be without knowledge. Now, that was kind of fighting words because there were some in the church who thought that they already knew all that there was to know. And so their, their practice of spiritual things was quite ungodly. And so Paul needed to speak into that. But I like how David Pryor puts it in his commentary. This is how he says it. He says, Paul tells them that they haven't even begun in that area. And so here is lesson number one for ignoramuses. I like the way he puts that. So he goes on to say in verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so at the time of Paul, when he was there engaging with the the church there at Corinth, people would just come from all over the place to go to Corinth uh, in order to seek something from the gods. So they'd go to the temple of Asclepius for healing. Or they'd go to the temple of Apollo if they wanted blessing over a journey or if they wanted wisdom for a business decision or something like that. It was, it was full of temples. So here's a temple here, and you can see the Acrocorinth up on the top of the hill there, the, the um, temple to Aphrodite, uh, which sort of towered over everything else. And dozens of temples in the city. And the evil one was trying to counterfeit what God was doing and so, as spiritual things were practiced in Corinth, sometimes spiritual things were being practiced in the church as well in an ungodly way. And there was competitiveness, there was elitism, people looking down on other people because of the gifts that they had. Maybe strange things were being said from the front. And so the question was is this gift, this manifestation that we're seeing here, is that coming from God or is it coming from somewhere else? It's a question. they had for paul and so paul gives the church here in these verses verse 3 a safeguard to know where, where was the source of the spiritual activity that they were seeing and he tells them that the main role of the holy spirit in the life of a person is to bring glory to jesus that's an important point if you're taking notes i would write that down the main role of the holy spirit in the life of a person is to bring glory to jesus So an an unbeliever could mockingly say Jesus is Lord. They could say the words. And so Paul is talking about more than words. He's actually talking about a way of life which proclaims Jesus' lordship. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, verse 3 says. And so an unbeliever can't live that way. With Jesus as their Lord in a world where there are so many other things which are competing for their attention and for their devotion. And so we look at the fruit in the person's life. And is Jesus their Lord? And if he is, then we can be confident that God is at work here. And then Paul goes on to talk about what the spiritual gifts are. And so he starts out in verse 4 by saying this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but god the same God works all of them in all men, in all people. And just as you have a look at those verses there, can you see how Trinitarian this is? The, Trin- the whole Trinity is involved. There's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, Holy Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord, Jesus Christ. Different kinds of working, but the same God, the Father, works them all in all people. And so when we're talking about spiritual gifts, it's not as if we're just honing in and focusing only on the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a Trinitarian activity. The whole Godhead is involved. In this unified in this let's go on to verse 7 now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good to one there is given through the spirit the message of wisdom to another the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one, just as he determines. So, there's a list of, of spiritual gifts that God has gives, given to the church. And this is one of five lists that we see throughout the New Testament. And so they are here. Just a little bit little graph here that I'll put together so you can see them all side by side and so here's some observations as we look at all of these different kinds of gifts which the Holy Spirit has given to the church none of these lists exactly matches any of the others can you see that they're all quite different but there are similarities we can see prophecy is in every one of those lists Lists, if you take 1 Peter 4 where speaking involves prophecy so, and that's at the top, so it's an important one. Serving is a common one, and just those kind of um, common kind of uh, abilities which are really grounded in loving one another and for a, for a community to, um, to live in love. Now, Ephesians is a little bit different because those are gifts to the church. These are specific people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher, I put those together, pastor, teacher, rather than necessarily separate, And so those are gifts to the church, so that the church can be the church, okay? Um, You might say about someone, oh, who does he think he is? Bryce, you know, is he God's gift to the church? Well, that might be the case. So, just so you know. But it's not just paid staff, okay? It's not just clergy. There are lots of people, as I'm looking out here, that would have the spiritual gift of pastor, teacher. But you are just doing it on a voluntary basis, you teach God's word to people. You're pastoring and shepherding other people, but you're not on paid staff, okay? But we do, we recognise that these gifts are spread aboard. But these those particular ones are God's gifts to the church. Now we see their tongues. That's only included in one Corinthians, and it's towards the bottom of the lists there. A couple of other um, just this is just. Bit of free information extra a couple of other gifts which are listed in the bible in the old testament craftsmanship is included there as a spiritual gift which was given to some people when they were building the temple Uh, and we've also already looked in 1 corinthians 7 about how singleness is a gift for some people you can go back and look at that message if you like now some of these uh, spiritual gifts are actually things which are expected of all christians like you see faith is there encouraging giving The church needs you to give. The church needs you to encourage people. We should all have faith. We should all show mercy. But there's going to be some people who have a a specific um, enablement in that area to really be a blessing. Uh, Also, as you look at these and you see how the different lists are so different, many scholars actually believe that these don't exhaust all of the spiritual gifts. There could be many other gifts which are not captured here because all these lists are so different. And so that's also something to keep in mind. But looking at the ones in our passage today, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, let's just quickly whip through those. So a word of wisdom. What's that talking about? So wisdom is the ability to look at a situation in life and see a godly perspective on it and to know what God wants you to do to live in that situation, to be faithful to him. And so a word of wisdom there, word of knowledge um, I think that what this means is, is talking about a, a supernatural ability to perceive uh, in a situation some knowledge that you wouldn't normally have, um, where you might have a particular word uh, for somebody. Faith. So having an unusual ability to have faith in the, in the face of very difficult circumstances, impossible circumstances, that you're still willing to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Gifts of healing. Interestingly, it doesn't say healing. Healing but it says gifts of healing, like there's different kinds of healing or something that a, a person might have the gift of to be able to bless other people. Maybe not just physical healing, maybe it could be emotional or spiritual or mental healing or something like that as well. Working miracles. So where that's seen in the New Testament is really big things like Jesus walking on water and calming the storm and things like that. Um, and so that that's... A big one, I guess. Uh, people have that. Prophecy um, is, some people, like in the Old Testament, prophecy was when someone would take God's message and deliver it to a people. Sometimes that was foretelling, like a predictive sort of thing. But also um, for us today, as we preach God's word, prophecy is preaching, taking what God has said long ago and putting it forward as well so there can be a a foretelling aspect kind of like agabus there when in acts 20 when he's talking to paul and says okay you know the person who wears this belt is going to be arrested you know saying what's going to happen to paul when he went to jerusalem he was foretelling something but also uh prophecy can be forthtelling. it can be actually describing what god has done in the world uh and what it means to live a godly life in god's way Distinguishing between spirits. And so these are very precious people. People who are grounded in the scripture. And when they might hear a prophecy or a word of knowledge, they can discern is this coming from a godly origin or from some other place, perhaps? Uh, tongues. So it, as we see that practice in the New Testament, that is speaking in other languages. Uh, we see in Acts 2, where it's uh, languages which people actually understood. Um, But I think that there is also a description there of people in 1 Corinthians 14 where people's spirit are communing with God's spirit. There's a verse there which describes that. Interpretation of tongues, so it's taking what is either a known or an unknown language and saying to the congregation what is actually being said. That's that list of gifts. And so I'd like to bring you now some biblical teaching about spiritual gifts. What does the Bible say about these? Firstly, every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4 says, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So each one, it seems like nobody's left out. Everyone gets a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 7 also says, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man, each person has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So every Christian has been given at least one spiritual gift. We don't exactly know when that happens, but when a person comes to faith in Jesus, they have received the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 is very clear. Having believed, you are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is your deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, which is to come. To be a Christian means you have the Holy Spirit in his fullness, all the spiritual blessings that come with that. And so... Uh, presumably, we receive our gift at that point. Maybe it's only a seed of a gift. We've got to develop it as uh, Timothy needed to, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. doesn't exactly say when. But one, is, one thing is sure, and that a church like ours is more than just a gathering of people who believe the same kinds of things. A church is more than that. A church is a supernatural group of people where god lives by his holy spirit and he has gifted each of us to serve each other for the blessing of the church he's given us everything we need for the church to be able to function and not just function but to flourish as well now you might think why has god given gifts isn't it good enough that you know jesus died on the cross and we're saved and we're going to heaven why give gifts well, if you remember back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right at the very start of this series, we talked about how there was big divides in society, some rich, a whole lot of poor people, and the church reflected that as well. Some wealthy, but most people were not of noble birth, were not educated well, and, and that was what the church was made up of. If the church was going to be able to function as an organization, as a body, as a unit, God would need to give them the ability to do that. So, they don't have to bring people from outside, go and have years of study or whatever, or bring someone in from the business world to do leadership or something like that. No, God has given the church everything it needs to be able to function as an organism, as an organization on the move. Martin Luther, who was the great German reformer of the 16th century, he spoke of the priesthood of all believers we speak about that here too don't we churches of christ he believed that ministry wasn't just for preachers or elders but every christian is called to participate in ministry the priesthood of all believers we're all priests and we start every one of our services we did today with these words we are not just a church with six pastors we are a church of over 600 ministers We affirm that every Sunday, that every Christian is called to play a part. We're a team. We all wear the same jersey. And the hope is, is that we'll all take the field. Unfortunately, not all of us do, but everyone has a part to play. So that's the first thing. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. I'd say, secondly, no Christian has all the gifts, and there is no gift that every Christian is required to possess. This is important romans 12 says just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function so in christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others 1 corinthians 12 says are all apostles are all prophets are all teachers do all work miracles do all have gifts of healing do all speak in tongues do all interpret rhetorical questions with the answer of no of course not All people do all of those things. We're not all hands, we're not all feet, we're not all eyes or ears. We can't look down on others and say, well, you need to be more hand-like, like like me. We're all unique. We all have our own part to play because we're part of one body. And even a picture like this, as being part of one body, we we don't exist in isolation from each other. We're part of one unit, one body. And there'll be more on that When we look at the next passage in 1 corinthians thirdly i would say we can't choose our gifts the holy spirit does that job romans 12 again says we have different gifts according to the grace given given us and 1 corinthians 12 says all these gifts are the work of one and the same spirit and he gives them to each one just as he determines So the gifts don't come through your hard work or your study or because you really think that you deserve it or because you really, really want it um, or even if you pray for them. We are told to desire the greater gifts like prophecy but ultimately the Holy Spirit decides who gets what gift or what gifts. And It's important to remember that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is described as a person because he considers and he determines who gets what gift. We have no means of knowing how he does that, no idea of how he might decide that. But our spiritual gifts do indicate part of God's call on the life of a person. It's the role that he would have you play in serving him. It's who he's made you to be. And as a church, we try and identify who has what particular gifts so that people can serve with that empowerment that God provides Uh, in the way that he has gifted them. Something else I would say, fourthly, is that spiritual gifts are for the benefit of others. So 1 Peter 4 again, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. We think of Jesus, the Son of God, who yet he said, Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life life as a ransom for many. Mark 10.45. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, that verse 7 there at the bottom of the screen, I think that's our big idea for today. That is the interpretive key to this whole passage. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So, what is the common good? To build up the body to build up a local church, and to build up the wider body of Christ as well. Now, spiritual gifts which uh, don't accomplish that are ones that don't bless others, or maybe if they're used without love. Perhaps that's not God's plan. So what I'm saying is your gift is not about you. It's about me. And my gift isn't about me, it's actually about you. Our gifts are used to be uh, gi- uh, given to us so that we can serve each other. I can put it this way. These uh, double doors that we have as we, you know, the, the rear of the auditorium there, whenever someone walks through those doors, there can be two different attitudes that we see from different kinds of people. So the first one is someone walks in and says, here I am, here I am, and I am so ready for you to serve me today. This is the attitude of the consumer which says, you know, I want you to abide by my preferences, my likes, and I want you to serve me. Church is here for me. That's one attitude. But a second attitude is where someone comes in and says, there you are, sister. There you are, brother. How can I serve you today? How can I be an encouragement to you and take what God has given me and be a blessing to you? My focus is on how God can use me and not just on myself. Now, what do these gifts look like in action well all of those different gifts which we we saw there and i tried to describe they will be expressed in different ways uniquely because god has made every person unique god has given you a certain kind of personality a certain kind of makeup and perspective on life and so the way that you exercise your spiritual gift or gifts will be unique to you i'll give you an example so think about Paul and Barnabas, who actually went out on their missionary journeys, and they're both described as teachers and preachers. Now, when Paul preached, if you were there in one of the churches at the time when he preached, you would have come away thinking, whoa, that was some deep teaching, Paul. I love how you took the Old Testament and you wove it through your story there, and, and you didn't sugarcoat anything. You know, you, That was just so convicting and challenging, and that is just what I need. That would be Paul. And then next week you'd hear Barnabas preach and you'd say, oh, Barnabas, that was so encouraging. You know, whenever Barnabas speaks, you know, it's like he's speaking right to my heart. That was so encouraging and that's just what I need. See, there's different ways that the gifts are expressed through personality uh, and just our particular makeup and who God has made us to be. Some other examples that I have seen in churches that I've been at, I think of one particular lady called Myra, and she had an extraordinary gift in serving, maybe hospitality as well, and she loved to have guests. And I would describe her as my secret weapon. And we would have Sunday lunches at her place, maybe three to four times a year. We'd invite a few of the new families to meet some of the families which had been at the church for a while. And I knew that if I could get a new family to one of those lunches, there was over a 90% chance that they would stay at the church. Because they get to know people. It was such a welcoming, loving, encouraging setting. Someone else, Dave, uh, that I knew in a church now, he was really gifted in evangelism. And just connecting with people about the message of Jesus, he was always looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And so one example is, so he lived in Caloundra. He was in Brisbane, Preaching in the Queen Street Mall with his permit, and uh, he finished up, and he was going to catch the train back to Lansborough, and he missed the train, so he had to wait another thirty minutes there on the train platform. And as he looked around, he saw a woman seated a few seats over from him, and she was munching away on a Subway roll. And so he was being very polite, let her finish her roll, and uh, but he really felt God was guiding him to go over and engage with her. As it turns out, the next train was getting pretty close. She finished her role and so he went over and he just spoke really briefly to her. He just kind of spoke a blessing over her, just like a, like a very short prayer and gave her a gospel of John. Got on the train and it had his uh, phone number just in the inside cover. By the time he had got back home, that lady had already texted him to say that he must have been sent by God because she had decided earlier that day she was going to give up on God and go in a different direction that she knew was wrong. Dave came along and blessed her and gave her a Bible on that day. And using his gift made all the difference. Now our church has every gift that is needed in order for us to function as a biblical community. And love is to be that distinctive flavor in all of our serving. Just looking at the time and uh, just wondering uh, how much I want to... How are we going? Is this helpful? We'll we'll persevere. We'll keep going. I have some good things I want to say, but only if you're okay with that. Is you all right with that? We'll keep going. Okay, so in our day, there has been a a question about the practice of so-called sign gifts. a bit of controversy around that. Gifts like prophecy and words of knowledge and healing and miracles, things like that. Tongues. And the question has often been, have the sign gifts ceased? And good people differ about this. And so here's two views um, where good people differ, two different ways of looking at it. There is the cessationist view, which says that the sign gifts have ceased. And so this view says that there were many miraculous signs and wonders which were performed, displayed as the gospel moved outward. um, And those miracles authenticated the apostles and their message. Just as miracles also authenticated Jesus' message when he was here as well, his claims of being the Son of God. But those sign gifts died out with the apostles. By the end of the first century, that was over and done, those particular gifts, or sometime shortly after that. And people who believe this view will look at 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 8. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And so the person who uh, has this particular view of um, the cessationist view that they've ceased will look at that and say, these gifts uh, have finished now in our time because the perfect has come. Now some people might, it's hard to know what that's really talking about when perfection comes. Some people might think that that is the canon of Scripture, that around the mid-300s A.D., the, the whole Bible was kind of fixed and sort of set. And so with that, then there was no need for any more kind of uh, messages from God because we've got the Bible and that's all fixed and set. Um, those who hold to this view would often cite that uh, there are there's a lot of bad theology and abuses, which they have seen from some churches which might practice all the gifts. Um, you know, when people would say, God told me this, you know, thus saith the Lord, and then they'll give a message, but they'll do it manipulatively, uh, or maybe abusively. God told me this, so therefore you have to do it. Or well, they might say, thus saith the Lord, and then that thing doesn't happen. I could tell you some stories about that, and maybe we've all encountered that at some point, where the prophecy doesn't come to pass. Or maybe someone prayed for healing, but then they'll accuse the person they prayed for that you just don't have enough faith. Or maybe you've got sin in your life or something like that, which is blocking the healing. If only you'd get yourself together, then the healing would happen. And so sometimes people will take this view because of uh, abuses they've seen. And also there is some doubt about the validity of personal experience in our walk with God, because the Bible should be enough. The other view is a continuous view, and that is that the sign gifts are still in operation. And so, with this view, there's a belief that the Word of God is living and active and is still living and active. And the Bible can speak to people's individual circumstances. Jesus is our shepherd, and as he says, my sheep hear my voice, that we can hear his voice as we go throughout life, and he will guide us. And that same passage that we looked at, that the cessationists will point to, we can also point to that as well, for the continuous view. In verse 12, it says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face when is the then that's when we're, when jesus has come back we're with him in glory now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i am fully known now it seems to me that the context here shows that the it doesn't say when the gifts will actually stop but it actually affirms that the gifts are for the church age and are not going to be needed in heaven Now, throughout church history, as we think over these last 2,000 years, we have seen these sign gifts pop up at different times, at different places, particularly when there is a revival happening and the gospel maybe is going forward into areas where it hasn't been before. And we see uh, these signs and wonders happening in those places. And so they haven't just died out. They haven't just stopped, it seems. And there's literally hundreds of millions of Bible-believing, loving, committed Christians in our world today in all different kinds of churches where all the gifts are operating. So here at SCC, I would say over the years, we have, we have had all of the gifts fun- functioning in this church, but they just haven't all been encouraged. So there's, I've literally known godly, godly people who got, they believe God has given them the gift of tongues. But they have practiced that by saying it under their breath or to themselves when they're in the pew, because they know that it's not really, hasn't been in the past accepted here at SCC. Or people who might get a specific word of encouragement for someone, a word of knowledge, but then they will have to be just careful, extra careful about how they'll communicate that with somebody. Now it's interesting that nowhere in the New Testament are the use of the sign gifts forbidden. The New Test- Testament is that actually encourages that each of them be used but just not abusively. They just have to be handled the right way. It's important for us to recognize that. Now, prophecy and tongues, they're going to be covered more when someone, someone on the pastoral team is going to be talking on 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to be looking at it more then. And so this is like part one of a two-part message. But yes, there are ways that we can test and discern if the manifestation of a particular gift is from God or if it's from some other source. There's ways we can do that so we don't make the same mistake that the Corinthian church was doing, just blindly accepting everything was happening it was being chaotic, not done in order, Um, just following other people's imaginations. There's things we can do to test because the Bible says to test everything. So one of the things we can look at is does this particular thing build up the body? Does it build up the body? Secondly, does it glorify Jesus? As we've seen right at the start of chapter 12, that's important. There should be an affirmation that Jesus is Lord. Is it producing fruit of the Spirit? What do we see in the lives of people who are demonstrating this? And what do people who have the gift of discerning spirits say about this? They have the gift of discerning there, so what do they have to say about it as well? There's different things, tests which can be applied, and we're going to look at that more when we look at 1 Corinthians 14. Something else I want to say about uh, spiritual gifts is we all have the responsibility to f- fan and to flame the gift or gifts that we have received. So it seems that Timothy had probably been given the gift of preaching, teaching, maybe leadership. Julie, you can pop those up on the screen there. Uh, in both of these, in First Timothy and also in Second Timothy, uh, he talks about the, um, firstly, do not neglect your gift. The next one, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift. It's like, come on, Timothy. You're not using the gift, says there, which was given you through the laying on of my hands. That's when he was commissioned to be a leader in the church. Um, That's what laying on of hands means there. And so it seems that spiritual gifts can be neglected and they can be developed. They can be developed through using them, maybe by being mentored by other godly, mature Christians as well. And I think God wants us to be faithful to use the gifts that we have received. So how can I know what gift I have? you might be asking. It's so freeing when you come to realise what your spiritual gift is. Sometimes it's hard when, when someone first becomes a Christian to have any idea, and so we just encourage people to to serve and to, to see uh, what their part to play is. There's spiritual gift surveys out there. I don't always find them to be incredibly helpful because sometimes they gravitate towards things you might naturally like or be good at. Uh, but if you'd like me to send you one that I think is okay, I can email it to you. Just shoot me an email several at scc.org.au. But here are some questions that I've put together over the years to help people discern what spiritual gifts they, are, they have. What area do I feel God leading me towards? Okay, if they're from God, surely God is going to guide you in some way. What is an area that I feel energized to do that I could do all day? Sometimes, you know, when you're serving, you just feel that heaviness inside, like, oh man, when is this going to be over? This is awful. You know, I can do this stuff. What's going on? Why do I find this so hard? And there's other things you could just do all day and you get to the end of it and you think, wow, that was amazing. What is an area that people have given me feedback on that it encouraged their walk with God? I mean, if it's actually a spiritual gift that is empowering you to bless the church, is the church being blessed? It's not just about whether you like doing it or not. Is there actually a result of encouragement? And what would others say is my spiritual gift? I mean, if they have the Holy Spirit living in them, would would they affirm it or not? Now, the Holy Spirit will lead us in this because he's the one who's given us the gifts in the first place. Now, for me, I think my spiritual gifts would be like encouragement, which would be expressed in pastoral care, teaching, because I seem to be able to encourage people through that, maybe leadership as well, that God has given me the ability to help a church to be healthy. Um, I also think that I have a gift in administration where I can look at a complex sort of situation and sort of see patterns and uh, simplify it, take that which is chaotic and make it simple and orderly. Personally, I find that my spiritual gifts aren't in any kind of areas which are natural abilities for me. So full disclosure, when I was in grade 12, even in grade 12 as a 17-year-old, just the very thought of having to do a three-minute oral presentation in front of 20 other students would make me physically ill. Which. I think it's hilarious now that I stand up in front of 300 people regularly now and actually preach, because I couldn't even do that, even when I was 17 years of age. I mean, I'm an introvert, and my natural place would be to be up the back corner somewhere, you know, when we have our worship services. I don't need to be up the front, and yet it seems that God has caused it to be so for me to have this kind of ministry. Something which just uh, happened uh, recently, just... uh, as I was thinking about another story that I could tell you, just about how God works in just sort of a very common and grounded ways to encourage people, is that um, sometimes Donna gets a verse or a particular mind picture or something which God gives her to encourage someone else. And just last week, she was on her way to work. So she works up at Kenmore um, uh, at the State Office for Churches of Christ in Queensland. There's about 200 other staff up there. Not all of them are Christians. And she was on her way to work, and she just had this sense that she should go and buy a bunch of flowers. And as she went to go and buy just a small bunch of gerberas, nice little arrangement, a particular lady's face came to mind for her. She didn't really think much of it. She wondered why she should buy these flowers. Perhaps she would give, get the chance to give them to someone. And so um, she wasn't really sure who she should give them to. All day, nothing really cropped up for her. It was 2.40 in the afternoon. So 20 to 3. And Donna was getting ready to leave for another meeting that she had. And she hadn't given the flowers away. They were just sitting on, the de- on her desk. And she hadn't seen anyone in tears or had any reason why she should give the flowers away to someone who might need them. So she decided to go up to that lady that she kind of had that sort of thought in mind that she uh, earlier this morning. She walked over to the lady's desk and presented the flowers to her. And that lady just looked up in utter surprise. And then she shared this story with Donna that in just a few minutes' time, that lady was about to leave to go to the cemetery to view her dad's headstone that had only just been made because her dad had passed away a few months earlier. So she had to head straight down to the cemetery, but the thought had come to her, but I don't have any flowers to bring. And right then, Donna walked around the corner and presented her with a bunch of flowers. What a coincidence, right? Coincidences seem to happen, you know, with God. And so when Donna heard that story, she was able to encourage the lady just about how much God loved her. You know, if Donna had given the flowers in the morning, it might not have had the same timing, you know, that God wanted to bless that lady. And if she'd gone 10 minutes later, the lady would have left already. So God knew the exact timing that she needed them. So you could call that a word of knowledge, or maybe you could just call that a gift of encouragement. I'm not really sure. Most of you, though, would have stories where someone has... Just being able to speak into your life with a very specific thing, maybe a specific verse or a word, just at the right time, maybe when you were feeling down and it was only something that you and God knew, perhaps. Or maybe someone prayed a prayer with you that no one else possibly could have known. So in conclusion, here's our main point, maybe our only point of application for today. And it is not for the focus for us to be all about the gifts, per se. As if they are the main game. But first and foremost, you know what is first prize for us at SEC? To be more surrendered to God, to be more yielded to him uh, and what he would want to do in our lives. And so I wonder, what could it look like for us at SEC to be more surrendered to God? Imagine if God could really have his way in each of our lives, that we were willing to yield to him in those areas maybe we have struggled for so long, that we might be of this ongoing experience of being filled with the spirit and keeping in step with the spirit as we journey through life moment by moment and what could it be like for us as a church community to be continuing to grow this fruit of the spirit increasingly more and more fruit of the spirit the love the joy peace patience goodness because it would be out of that context that the gift, the gifts of the spirit can be exercised properly and safely and with love I just want to close by saying you are needed in this church. But God has gifted you, and he wants to use you. So don't allow yourself to think that you don't matter. You could never do anything here in this church. No one can do everything, but everybody is a somebody that God wants to use. And as you serve, God wants to empower you with gifts that he has given you specifically. And if you start serving somewhere, he will guide you. Well, let's just take a moment just to be alone with the Lord in our thoughts and then I'll close. Just a few moments, just for you to say whatever you feel you need to him. And then I'll pray. Oh, Lord, you are such a wonderful and good father to us, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And we thank you that you love the church Christ's body so much, Lord, that you choose to give us gifts so that the church can look after all of its own affairs, can flourish and function and grow. Lord, please give us the courage, Lord, to to serve you in the areas, Lord, where you have gifted us. For some people, that will mean taking a risk, Lord, to re-engage in service once again. But Lord, I pray that you would just be guiding each of us, Lord, in the areas that you would have us to serve in the areas you would have us to play our part. Lord, thank you that as we do that, we find ourselves swept up in community with other brothers and sisters in the faith and we get to journey together. And so Lord, we just give you praise and thanks for your wisdom in all of this. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.